In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's might. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi, everybody. I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 282. Polarity. Woo-hoo! That's right. It's not Polarity Part 1 or whatever. It, it, we're doing the entire Polarity arc in one episode. Which is um, which is funny that you mentioned Polarity Part 1 because I'll have a comment actually about some about uh well I'll just wait to the end. <laughs> but it is related to you mentioning Polarity Part 1, so there's something of of consequence or relevance about about you saying that at least to me so uh we're talking green lanterns number 19 20 and 21 uh this is polarity the story arc featuring dr polaris uh in his account encounter with the green lanterns uh, i'm taking issue 19 mark will take 20 and then i'll take things and wrap them up with 21 uh any preamble before we get started hell no all right right into it then uh, so, Green Lanterns number 19, writer Sam Humphreys, art by Ronan Cluck, whatever. Yeah, Cluck at it, yeah. I guess. Colors by Blonde, letters Dave Sharp, cover uh, Leo Macchio. I think it's Manco. Manco? Okay, I thought I saw an eye there. I guess not. Variant uh, uh, cover by Emanuela Lupacino and Michael Atier. Assistant editor Andrew Marino, editor Mike Cotton, group editor Ryan <laughs> Edwards. Uh, so we open at kind of, let's just be honest, it's a ripoff of TED Talk. Uh, it's Lex Talk, where somebody's giving a presentation on some new breakthrough, blah, blah, blah. Um, but in this case, this young man is addressing an empty auditorium, save for one individual. He's talking about how magnetism holds unlimited potential to revolutionize medical care and so on and so forth. He gets this big crescendo about we can cure death itself and clap, clap, clap. And the only person sitting in the audience is Dr. Polaris. He says, nice speech. So what's stopping you? This young man who, of course, uh, his name is uh, Dr. Neil Emerson, says that his funding was ripped away and so on and so forth. And. His brother got sick and all that. He says, I'm trying to save my brother. I'm trying to cure him. Um, and Dr. Player says, is it ever enough? You hear beep, beep, beep. And he wakes up from dream. Uh, this is Neil Emerson as he really is. A brilliant man uh, overcome with uh, a bipolar disorder is what they call it in here. But it's almost like schizophrenia, right? Um, so... And now he's struggling with that and trying to get himself to focus and, and help save and cure his brother who has brain cancer. And he says, I have to cure Seth, as he's thinking to himself. Meanwhile, 
over in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, Simon is letting his brother, uh, his brother-in-law, Nazir, know that he's got to head out. Justice League's calling, and they're spread thin right now. They get into a quick argument about like we're just. Not, Nazir says that Simon is nothing but a that that Nazir and his family is nothing but a hotel for. Um, Simon and Jessica, they don't contribute to the household in any way, shape, or form. Well, you know, Simon gonna get a f- really Simon. He's really not – I don't think he's really tying it into Jessica. He's not, He's not. but uh, Jessica mentions later on um, that her sister's been on her about getting a job as right. well. Um, so uh, Jessica interrupts at just the right moment. They're saying, hey, we got to head out. Um, then they fly off. Uh, Jessica and Simon try to talk to this for a second. They can't really um, – when, uh, meanwhile, when Neil Emerson shows up to get some pills to help manage his uh, bipolar disorder from this guy, this guy reveals himself to be an agent of, I'm assuming, Argus. Um, since Argus was, isn't Argus the, 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 Government organization that runs Task Force X that Amanda Waller was in charge of. I'm not 100% sure. I'm going to assume you're correct. Uh, so they uh, they surprise attack uh, Neil Emerson, and um, a hologram show comes on um, Director Harcourt. She is in charge of Task Force X now, no longer Amanda Waller. Uh, this squad of people is specifically put together to take down Dr. Polaris. Um, the, their armor is Kevlar and ceramic, their guns are polymer, their bullets are diamond, and they don't even have a single tattoo among them. Uh, so there's nothing for them, for Dr. Polaris to reach out and magnetize. Um, so they think. (laughs) Yeah, so they think. Uh, she, uh... She offers him a deal, says, we'll let you continue your research in custody. We will get you help, your help for your bipolar disorder, and, you, you know, you'll be able to save Seth. Um, you know, come in now peacefully. So this offer is backed by Uncle Sam, limited time only, non-negotiable, and it definitely ends with your butt back in Bell Rev. So what's it going to be? And he says, Uncle Sam can shove it. And when you consider that Uncle Sam is an actual character in the DC universe, <laughs> it's an interesting image. But anyways, uh, he reaches out to all the other surrounding metal, including like the pipework in the uh, basement of the building they're in in the first place, um, takes out the team and ties them up. Turns out this happened, you know, quote unquote, in the past because this is all being replayed on a screen for the benefit of Jessica and Simon. And Harcourt is trying to send them out. They're trying to. She's trying to tell them if you have a chance, take the shot. And they say, "That's not how we do things in the Justice League. We're here to help, not take orders from the government." And Jessica says, "Just because you couldn't take him into custody doesn't mean we can't. We're extremely powerful too." <laughs> Get a little big for your britches there, Jess. <laughs> um, and she says, "I don't need the hero routine. Just think about what I said." Um, so Jessica and Simon make their way over to Gateway City. If Gateway City sounds familiar to you, that's because it's the home of Wonder Woman. Or, as is revealed here, the former home of Wonder Woman. Um, as Jessica's, you know, pining over the city, uh, about how beautiful it is, they show up at the hospital to uh, talk to Dr. Emerson. Um, 
And I say Dr. Emerson because Dr. Emerson and Dr. Polaris are one and the same, but since they're treating this sort of like a bipolar slash schizophrenic disorder, when I say Emerson, I mean the human slash citizen slash brilliant doctor trying to save his brother version of him. When I say Dr. Polaris, I mean fully suited up and, you know, going batshit. That's what I mean. Um... So they try to contain Dr. Polaris, uh, and he immediately escapes the little bubble. Uh, he grabs a uh, he grabs a uh, nearby eighteen wheeler and throws it at him. Grabs several different cars, crumbles them all around Jessica and Simon into a little ball, and tosses them down into the ocean. And next issue, Deep Impact. Ho hum. <laughs> um, there were some good things in this issue. When I reread all these tonight, oftentimes when I read these, I my first impression is, "Oh, this really sucks because nothing grabs me." And then I go back and I reread it, and I, maybe it's because I know I almost have to find something good. But I like to think it's me being more objective. I do. I did find more interesting things in this, mostly the stuff between the two sides of Polaris' personality, really. But it was. It's 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 one of the better issues of the three, I would say. But still, there's 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 issues I have with it. Um, for this uh, coverage, I actually went back and I re- reread Green Lantern Volume Two, Issue Twenty One. That is a Silver Age issue in which Doctor Polaris appears for the very first time. Um, they don't actually, to my knowledge, at least I, I read slash skimmed over that issue. Um, paying attention to each individual panel and looking for certain keywords, but not actually reading the whole thing, except for a panel here and there, just so I make sure I'm keeping up with the story. I don't believe in that issue, unless I missed it, that they refer to him as Neil Emerson. However, a quick Wikipedia search let me know that eventually this version of uh, Dr. Polaris that you see in uh, Green Lantern 21 um, is Dr. Polaris from the Silver Age. Uh, Neil Emerson. So, first of all, brilliant man. Thinks he can apply uh, magnetism to medicine to create, a, you know, miracles and accomplish wonders, and has a split sort of personality disorder. Um, he wants to help other people. Wants to help himself, but then. The evil part of him takes over, and this is only after a result of him experimenting on himself with experimental magnets. Um, so, lots of stuff in there taken directly from the Silver Age, got right, done very well. Um, and if you want to even take it a step further, Polarity, the story arc, includes Green Lantern's issue 21. So, I guess we can call that a positive thing. <laughs> but uh, I just thought that was interesting. Um, as for the costume, I don't know. What, the Polarity costume? Yeah, Pol- the Polaris. Polaris? I, don't think yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's not, nothing necessarily wrong with it. It's just not what I think of when I think of Dr. Polaris, which is probably a good thing. 
The old, not the old like Silver Age costume that we see here, because in the Silver Age costume in twenty, in uh, the Silver Age issue twenty one, it's white. He's wearing like a purple bandana tied behind his head instead of like an actual mask. Like it, it's there's no cape. It's it's really ridiculous looking. Um, it's a very like you know first appearance of a villain or a superhero who hasn't right yet right like found their identity kind of costume. Um, the one I think of when I think of Dr. Polaris is kind of like the, what I see, uh, when you're watching like the animated series, the Justice League animated series. Yeah. That's what I think of. His, to be fair, his costume in this ish, in this, uh, arc is very, uh, Prometheus like. Yes, it is. That's, it, you know what? Thank you for saying that because I th- was thinking it was familiar, but I couldn't figure out why. <laughs> yeah, the, and everything about this, it's very similar to, to the Prometheus con- costume concept when he was first introduced. Yeah. Um, um, good. I like the tension between Nazir and, uh, and uh, Simon. I'm wondering if Nazir. Just because we're dealing with a story arc with mental issues, if Nazir has some sort of issues, um, I don't necessarily think like you know super heavy or anything, but it it almost seems irrational. Like at least, I mean, I guess that makes sense because we're only getting it really from Simon's perspective. But Simon brought him out of his effing coma. Well, that I. There, and 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 you know they're they're best buds and you know his wife is Simon's sister and you know it's he's a freaking superhero you know so but I think I, I, I think that's part of the if you want to analyze him that is probably part of the issue part of the issue is he either feels like he's in Simon's shadow or he feels like he or like that and that he feels obligated to Simon because of what Simon's done for him, but yet he has some legitimate issues with Simon based on their over, overall interaction. But yet, was he? But he, but he could view it as, "What am I not supposed to say anything?" But because he saved my life, that means now he, like, he's got carte blanche forever, and I can't say anything that I don't like about him or anything that he's doing wrong that I don't approve of. So I think, I think the fact that he saved his life probably is what is factoring in into some of that. That could be almost it's like. I'd like a subconscious resentment there going on, not because he doesn't appreciate it, but just because he feels like he's the natural issues he has with Simon in general. Now all of a sudden, it's like he feels like it's, it's almost like something wrong if he says something to Simon about it. Because oh, he saved my life, so I should just you know conventional wisdom is he saved my life, so I should just be happy with anything he does, that kind of thing. So I bet you that oh, yeah. that might very well play into. If I was going to analyze Nazir just based on what we're seeing here and, and what the background that we have about him, that's what. That's probably the way I would go and say. Not saying that his, and that's not at all saying his criticism of Simon is not legitimate because it probably is. I mean, you don't know. Nobody wants their house to be viewed as a flop house, no matter who's doing it, whether it's your best friend or whether it's your brother or your cousin. You don't want people to just basically think they can. Some, I mean, I say everybody because obviously there's exceptions. Some people don't care about that. It's like, oh yeah, anytime. But a lot of people are not going to want people to just come and go as they please and not contribute anything at all to. You know, to the household, and then that's kind of what he's feeling. And plus, maybe just again overshadowed because, like you said, Simon is a superhero. So Simon's just—he's—he's this cool guy, and he's got this high-profile gig, especially, especially as we find out more about how similar their backgrounds were. Simon and Nazir, there could be almost a little jealousy involved in there too. If you want to, if you want to keep going, digging deeper. So, yeah. 
Well, that makes sense. What were you going to say earlier? Uh, I don't remember at what point. Um, I, I, I haven't. I do like some of the conflict between them because again, it makes it real. As we've seen, you know, this is this is essentially the kind of relationship these guys have always had. It just it it's just because of how things have changed between them, which is a where Simon's coming from, how Simon views the relationship with Nazir because he saved him, maybe how Nazir views his relationship with Simon because he saved him. That the dynamic has changed, and they're trying to make sense of that. But so I, I do like the tension. I I got real sick of like bro, 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 like every other paragraph, every other bubble that was really annoying the shit out of me i mean it's like because we got like we we got like four we got like something like four uh word bubbles with, with bro like on like on a page and a half that was just annoying to me it's petty maybe but it was annoying I, gotcha. and we all know people some people talk like that but it doesn't mean that it's, it's equally as annoying to read as it is to, maybe more annoying to read than it is to hear <laughs> between dude bro bro dude um Something that annoys me in this issue is the way they approach Dr. Polaris's powers. Um, first and foremost, Argus has a detailed dossier on Polaris, and they know how his power works, who he is, blah, 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 how to counteract it, enough to put together this Polaris squad. But they don't, they, th- they seem to be under the assumption that his power, and I'm looking at these people surrounding him, the squad surrounding him, can only reach all of what? Six feet around him? Well, to be fair, I think part of that might have been they, they assumed that the, uh, that the weapon that they hit him with, uh, that that probably was going to have a longer lasting effect on his powers than, than he thought. So they thought I got I kind of think that factors into it. They thought when they when they when they hit him with that weapon that was going to make him a little that was going to you know suppress his powers a little longer so they could go through this long drawn out speech to try to join me and together that kind of thing. I think so. I think that was part of it. They thought the weapon would have maybe a greater effect on him than it did. And maybe that's because may, maybe they've tested they tested it somehow before, if not on him, but they tested it. Theory, you know, in an environment that would indicate that this should have that kind of effect, but again, they may have underestimated his powers, that it did work, just didn't work as long as they kind of hoped it would work. Hmm. So I think that might that might be part of it. Yes, if it was kind of, because logically, obviously you're, you're, you're in a warehouse or whatever, you know there's going to be metal, there's going to be screws, there's going to be tons of different things, so it can't be that they're that complete, uh, completely oblivious to his powers, it's just that they probably thought that, yes, with the weapon and Maybe again, maybe the maybe the weapon was like you said, or the weapon was designed to limit his access to maybe a couple of. They thought, in theory, theoretically, it would limit his access to things like in the immediate vicinity, a few feet away, and maybe it did do that for a short period of time, or maybe they were wrong and it didn't and it it didn't suppress it you know suppress it for as big a range as they thought. Uh, so. But I bet you. But I think it's somewhere along those lines because they wouldn't have gone through all that effort to do what they did to, to not factor in. Hey, there's screws in the roof. Yeah. Uh, well, that only serves to further my next point. Even if Argus thought that this gun would take him down, Jessica and Simon just watched the tape. So why do either of them think this shield is going to do anything? 
Because they're cocky, man. They're cocky. <laughs> He's holding a clipboard, first of all. <laughs> so he has metal in there with him, forgetting the fact that maybe, I don't know, right. your translucent energy construct does nothing to block out magnetism. <laughs> True, but in their mind's eye, they probably thought that maybe if they put him in, they encase him in this thing that he can't really do anything as far as affecting anything. Period. Outside the bubble, and maybe they didn't. And they and the clipboard, even if they were bright enough to figure out, hey, there's metal on that clipboard. They figure, what the hell can he do with it? He's encased in. Uh, there's 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 a lot of stuff in this. Though, though you have to give credit where credit due. Where credit is due. The idea of using Simon's feelings against him was really brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about a talk about a painful way to get out of trouble. It's like I, I'm going to screw around with your fillings in your teeth, and I'm going to just use them as spikes. Yes, come on, that was. Hey, that's that, that's a magneto trick. That's pretty neat. Uh, yeah, that was cool. Other than that, I have nothing else to say about this particular issue. I had I kind of had an issue with Simon's issues that because he's in the hospital now, he's having his anxiety or he's having his P- PTSD here. <laughs> That everything just being in the hospital. Oh, I'm having all these horrible flashbacks to Nazir. Except that things worked out okay with Nazir. So, so why is this? Why is this such an automatically traumatic event for you? Even though, I mean, completely, I can understand some of it, but it's like he's having way too many. I mean, I don't know. Well, it was it was kind of twofold, right? It was, well, threefold. He felt like he was responsible for Nazir's condition. Nazir is suffering. And since he's suffering and in a coma, so is his sister, Simon's sister, suffering because she loves Nazir. And three, Simon is in prison in essentially Guantanamo Bay while his sister and Nazir are suffering. So it wasn't just that his his friend was in a coma. It was that his friend was in his coma. It was his fault, so he feels, and he wasn't there for them. Well, yeah, I, I I will buy some of that probably on, on an underlying level works, but it's just being in the hospital that's the trigger for all this. So that's the thing. Yeah. So that's the thing that I gotta, and we'll talk about this more as as we go on. This this is certainly not, and, and this if you're looking for an arc which says this is why Simon Bass should be in this book, this is not a good arc to, to justify that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a good arc to to go on the opposite side, which says we what point or what purpose does Simon really serve in this book? The book is clear. I mean, it's clearly a platform for Jessica Cruz, which we knew f- from the very inception of this title that it was that's why it was designed. They've succeeded because people are interested in Jessica. She has a certain unique point of view, along with the relationship with the ring. I just am really starting to question what really the point of having Simon around is. <laughs> And this arc really kind of like speaks to that, I think. That was one of the things I was thinking about when I was rereading this issue. It's like, it's like, come on. But anything else to say about this uh, story? Um, This well, this this issue. Oh, I was I was really hoping we were done, but when you said it like that, (laughs) (laughs) um, uh, no, I don't think I don't think so. I in in a way, I kind of liked I kind of liked Jessica's cockiness. because Je- Jessica has such an endearing personality that she can get away with a little bit of cockiness because you because you kind of not you, you kind of don't really believe she believes it though she's trying to make you believe it. <laughs> I think it, and I like the fact that uh, 
when she's talking about, oh, this pl- this puts Portland and Metropolis to shame, and Simon points out, she, you know, you've never been to Metropolis, which is kind of a little arrogant because, well, I guess it's not entirely arrogant because of the fact that she'd been locked up in her apartment for like four years. But still, she could have been there when she was a kid or something. But just the fact that Simon says, you've never been to Metropolis. And she goes, well, I have in video games. I thought that, I thought that was, I thought that was kind of cute, but this is, I think overall, this is a much better Jessica arc than Simon. Right. All right. Want to say get you 20? All right. But do I really want to? No, but, <laughs> but it would be unfair to make you do all three. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. But hey, hey, considering all the, probably, we can make a case for it, but, all right. <laughs> Polarity, Chapter 2, Drowning, Sam Humphreys, writer, Eduardo Pansica, artist, Julio Ferreira, inks, blonde colors, Dave Sharp letters, Robinson Roca, Daniel Henriquez, and Jason Wright. One cover, Lupacino and Atea on the variant cover. The editors remain Andrew Marino, Mike Cotton, and Eddie Berganza. So we remain underwater in Gateway City. (laughs) where Simon and Jessica remain trapped in their little ball made of cars and trucks that Polaris has just sent them down into. Uh, I kind of like, like the way this this part with the ring, how the ring is saying insufficient willpower when basically Jessica's the one. <laughs> I kind of like the way where Jessica's kind of like having her, she's either concentrating with her hands up on her head or just like almost like covering her ears, which is kind of inside when Simon's yelling, I got this, Jess! Which, of course, he clearly doesn't. The ring, his ring keeps saying insufficient willpower, which Jessica is smart enough at this point to realize that the real issue is that Simon is afraid. And because Simon is so afraid, it's, it's interrupting and disrupting his willpower so he can't focus. Um, which, which does make perfect sense on a fundamental level. I mean, it would, if, but when he makes like the energy construct fist thing, like the armor, and he's trying to punch his way out. It's kind of borderline. You would think he probably could make a construct at least strong enough to at least do some damage, but I guess if he's that afraid, it's just, I guess, upon impact, maybe, when it meets any kind of resistance, it's, it's, it's going to crumble. But basically, Simon, you know, Simon keeps getting, he's getting more angry and more afraid, but mostly more afraid, and he can't do anything to get them out of this situation. Jessica remains perfectly calm. She's kind of getting like Zen mode here. She's focusing on her breathing. I am not my fear. Focus on my breath. I am not my fear. And Jessica basically, she helped. She gets enough willpower, sufficient willpower achieved. And they basically, she overcomes fear for both of them. They fly out of the the ocean near Gateway City. And you know, Simon, you know, Simon kind of acknowledges, you know, that he couldn't really have done that, you know, without her. Then they really, they got to go back and look for Dr. Polaris. They figure the best place to go is back to the hospital room, which, of course, he was there, but but he showed back up and he kind of levitated, levitated Seth out with him and took him back to the, you know, to the secret warehouse that he's been working out of. Um, now we, we, we flash, we have more kind of flashbacks into uh, Neil Emerson's background back when he still was the toast of the town, when he, when he was scientist of the year before his methods seemed to, fail and people called him a fraud and everything else and now we continue having this conversation between the Polaris part of his personality and the Emerson part of his personality I do like Polaris sitting there eating the popcorn as they're kind of watching all this on the screen as as he as he kind of taunts him and he kind of 
you know, the Emerson part really just wants to help people, and he really, you know, he just lo- was looking for respect and how people turned on on him and bothers him. And, Pol- and Doctor Polaris just keeps saying, "Hey, it's like a, you can't ask for respect. It's like you have to take it." And now, now the kind of like a vision of Seth, his you know, his brother comes comes into this like uh, into the landscape of his mind and starts into saying that you know you don't listen, don't listen, you know, really don't listen to him, Neil. You've always had what it takes. You got this. Uh, which is kind of a cool little like relationship here because Jessica's Jessica's flying th- through the sky over there and she's talking to a ring and her, and her ring kind of says you got it Jaybird <laughs> you got this you got it Jaybird nice little touch there I do like the I do like again the ring con- calling her Jaybird all that stuff uh, now the ring is back to you know speaking speaking to her in, in normal terms now that they're not under a stressful situation. And they're freed from the Polaris influence. Uh, now Simon has to acknowledge himself as he's flying that, you know, thank God for Jessica because I always saw, saw her as the weak link, typical Simon. But basically if it wasn't for her, we, I, we would have been screwed because I was cracking up under pressure over there. They contact Cyborg at the Watchtower, the Justice League Watchtower, to try to basically triangulate any weird – out of the ordinary magnetic activity, so they can figure out where Doctor Polaris actually is. Uh, now we have a nice, an interesting little flashback here about uh, with uh, Simon's background, where we see Simon who basically stole the car and he was and he was trying to sell it. And basically, in Simon's wisdom, of course, by, or by luck of the draw, he unfortunately is selling it to the person who actually owned it to begin with. Uh oh! And right when Simon, you know, Simon's about to really. If he's not going to get killed, he's certainly going to have a serious ass whooping put on him for, for for doing that. Guess who comes charging through with in another vehicle? Of course, it's Nazir, and we find out at this point that of course Nazir weren't just in in uh, Simon weren't just best friends, and he's not just his brother-in-law, and they go back a long way. Basically, they were partners, as in literally partners in crime. <laughs> that uh, Nazir was involved in the little car. St- Stealing shenanigans that uh, Baz used to be known for at the time. Um, Simon gets snapped out of this fl- this flashback or this recollection by uh, you know Cyborg kind of de- detecting that uh, we, you know Jessica first and then and then Cyborg kind of detecting that we have a hit and they fi- and they find the warehouse that uh, Emerson happens to be at. We have another. While Emerson's still thinking about all the stuff in his mind, we get yet another flashback of when everything crumbled down upon Emerson and all the media was harassing him and calling him, you know, calling him a fraud. And what about the cancer patients and everything else? It was Seth who basically showed up on purpose to rescue him, of course, in a similar fashion, but not as violent, <laughs> a similar fashion to how Nazir rescued Simon, which, of course, is building this relationship or this correlation, this analogy we see happen in the final part of his arc. With Seth kind of saving, in his own way, saving Emerson here, Neil Emerson, from from the media, and then of course he just says he makes it clear that despite everything that's happened with Emerson's disgrace and fall from grace, that you know he's more that Seth hasn't lost faith in him. He still you know hasn't turned his back on him, and he's welcome to stay with him and his uh, but him and his wife as long as uh, as long as he wants. So it's kind of a nice touch. So at this point, Seth, you know, Seth in the Seth persona or the uh, impression of Seth and Simon, in, excuse me, in Neil Emerson's mind seems to be winning him over. But then Doctor Polaris starts 
you know, feeding into the anxiety and the fear again, going, put on the costume, put on the costume. <laughs> it's like, they discredited you, they imprisoned you. It's like, and then who do they send after you? <laughs> Two obscure Green Lanterns, not even Superman. They think you're a joke. It's like, you need to crush them. You're a Dr. Polaris. Put on the costume. You know, Pol- uh, Neil Emerson kind of snaps out of this uh, internal monologue, if you will, now. And now he's, he has, you know, he's got to, he realizes he's got to focus on healing and saving his brother, and at that moment, you, I like that. You, in, a, in a locker, you kind of hear a creak. You see it. I mean, as much as you can hear in a comic book, you see a creak, but you're supposed to hear it. And inside the locker room, you see you see the costume. Now, now we have something that's completely kind of takes you away from the flow of this issue. It's kind of relevant, I guess, but it it does seem kind of out of place here. You have this this all important council. Between what do you have? You have Guy, you have Simon, you have Izamat, and who's the other guy? Vath, I think. Oh yes, Vath. I always I always forget these two. Actually, I guess there's, I, I guess in some continuity, I, I figured one of these guys would be dead would be dead by now, but I guess that hasn't caught up to where they are in this book. Uh, they're, they're, you know, they're they're having a a secret council meeting above above Mogo, where pretty much they're getting basically. Uh, John and Guy are being filled in about the, the little rendezvous Vath and Izamot had on Earth with Jessica, Simon, and Raimi. Uh, somehow, you know, the the, the ring slash Mogo were able to determine that yes, there were you know there was a Mal- a guardian of Maltusian origin is on Earth, and that it was Raimi. He was exiled, you know, billions of years ago, and now all of a sudden, and of course, uh, in this little council, like Satan and Ganthet are kind of like floating. Uh, you're not really sitting at the table, but but even though there are two seats there, so maybe they were at some point. That's when uh, Ganthet and Sage kind of chime in that oh, you know, Raimi created you know the very first Green Lantern rings to save us a Volthoom, but Sage is a little less optimistic. She's got a, seems a little more cautious about this. Now Raimi is a pariah, volatile, dangerous. Bringing him here would be an error, John Stewart. But pretty much, they, John Stewart, being John Stewart, decides. Well, at this point, I don't really care. You bring bring just you know bring Jessica back. We're gonna bring Jessica back. We're gonna bring Simon back, and we're gonna bring back uh, the Guardian here too, whether you know, whether they want it or not. And of course, bring back good coffee with you at the time. Uh, Je- Jessica and Simon go to the warehouse where Emerson is, and of course, being probably I don't know I don't know who's really leading this. Came up with this brain plan, but they just you know, they just break break through the roof and they and just kind of like you know not even thinking just roll you know where angels fear to tread they just kind of just roll in there and they find you know they find Seth on life support pretty much you know you see the heart monitor and everything and he's he's still alive but he's not looking too good and Simon sees that and of course he has once again he has his flashback to Nazir um, Jessica's like. I don't know. Maybe, and they're looking for Emerson. It's like I don't know. Maybe he stepped out. He stepped out to get the chrome on his shiny helmet cleaned up. It's like you think I'm a joke, and then you have a really cool splash page of Doctor Polaris, which at the time I, I thought, hey, this is issue end of this page because that would have been really cool, but it doesn't. <laughs> it's like you're wrong. I'm Doctor Polaris, and this is who I really am. And Doctor Polaris proceeds to do a pretty good job of taking out Simon and Jessica, and he, you know, he kind of proclaims, "I'm going to be, you know, on my way soon, Lanterns, and you'll never find me again. But before I'm go, I'm going to make sure you understand. I'm going to make sure the whole city understands now that you know I'm not a joke." And while he's going on this, this little supervillain rant, all of a sudden, uh, his brother Seth flatlines, and it's like, "No, he's dying!" 
Issue three, Flatline. <laughs> um, some things I like. You mentioned it at the very beginning. I th- some things I like to have about this issue. I do like the the whole willpower insufficient thing, especially when you consider um, the later issues. Um, we're talking outside the polarity storyline. The I think it happens in issue twenty three. I'm not going to give any spoilers, guys, but. Uh, the uh, the conversation that uh, that Jessica has with Kilowog. That's all I'm. Uh, that's yes, all I'm yes, going to yes, say. Yes, yes. Which what I just, he which tells, I just read today because I actually hadn't picked up that book until today. The conversation that he has with her uh, that made me think of okay, well that makes sense that this would happen here as opposed to after that conversation. Now, obviously, this is happening to Simon, not Jessica, but conceptually. That, that that that's kind of cool, um, and it does make sense that you know if fear is the antithesis of will, and Simon's freaking the f out, uh, then it might affect his ability to use said willpower. Yeah, so. it almost goes back to what the, the little pe- not so pep, peppy pep talk that Sinestro was giving Ryan Reynolds, Green Lan- Hal Jordan in that movie about what about fear affecting concentration and everything affecting the you know the con the constructs making them weak and everything else so it's all yeah. it's kind of like it's all along this in the same kind of vein that if your concentration isn't strong enough and or if fear if if you're feeling fear that it's going to make your constructs weak and everything else yeah um i another thing i liked i like the um i like the inclusion of cyborg which we get more of in the next issue but i like the interaction of in the the interaction of and the involvement of the league in some way, shape, or form, because I'm although I'm not reading it, Simon and Jessica are part of the Justice League, so it makes sense that they would call on them every now and then, the same way the Justice League would call on Simon and Jessica every now and then. I'm assuming they they might be appearing in some other book, elsewhere for half a second. <laughs> so it's always possible. So uh, I thought that was kind of cool, uh, and uh, and I I mean I know it's a complete departure from the tone of the story, but I did like the little round table in space meeting. I thought that was kind of cool. I mean I mean it was interesting, be- and, and it's it's interesting and was enjoyable on the basic level that a lot of those things are, as we've we've talked about, like in the State of the Union episode. Most of that stuff has been the more interesting part of this book. So that stuff like that is interesting, but it really did kind of t- – it just kind of – I guess there would have been no proper place to put that in, in in maybe this issue, let alone the entire arc. But it's it did kind of like suck me out a little bit from where you – know, from where I, from the story. Yeah. Um, I mean I did enjoy it. I, I do like how uh, you know they – Ganthet and Sade give John their opinion. And so much so that Sade herself says, bringing him here would be an error, John Stewart. <laughs> and a few panels later, he promptly goes, I'm giving the order. Bring him in. <laughs> the Guardian and the Lanterns. <laughs> it's like, I mean, it, it, it makes sense. You know, any good leader listens to different opinions and then makes his own decision. But I like how he goes with his his gut and his fellow lanterns and flat out ignores the guardians. <laughs> and of course, depending on what continuity we want to go with, Sade, of course, wouldn't have been there to begin with. <laughs> yeah. 
but nonetheless, um, I I think we probably can accept the fact that she's uh she'd been retconned enough to where she probably was one of the original guardians. So technically, technically, I guess she, no matter how you slice it, her essence would have been one of the original guardians, even if she wasn't female at the time, right? Right. So I guess you can get a you you can stretch that no matter to make it work. Um. Outside of that, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. It's cool seeing a Silver Age uh, villain. It's cool that this is a three issue story arc instead of only like four, you know, or six, you know, really dragging it out. Um, so I do like all those a- uh, aspects. But just and this is personally, this is not like how I feel about you know uh, what I think uh, another Lantern fan reading this would feel, but. Me personally, Dr. Polaris has never been really very compelling to me. Don't get me wrong. The way they do this makes it makes him more compelling than he's been before. But he's still not enough to make me go, oh, this is a really interesting story simply because <laughs> of him. Like, I, 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 I get and appreciate what they're trying to do with him and the, you know, the, the depth they're trying to yes. give him. But I don't have enough invested in Polaris in the first place. To really to... care. <laughs> exactly. Thanks thanks for trying to humanize him. I could still give three pounds of monkey crap about him. That's what Chad's trying to say. And you can't and you gotta you have a very valid point. Hmm. But I mean like I said, I appreciate the inclusion of a Silver Age villain. And maybe the more you include Polaris as well as other Silver Silver Age villains Okay, maybe this issue or these three issues, I'm not going to care as much about Polaris. But because you gave me these three issues, when he shows up again later on, if you you know reuse him a couple of times, not in quick succession, but when you reuse him the next time, I'm going to remember these three issues and maybe appreciate and care a little bit more each time. So, I mean, just you, you got to build it back up. So the same the same way you take a character like Black Hand. And you show him to me in Jeff Johns's arc the first time, I'm gonna be like, "Oh, that dude? Well, all right, Jeff." And then Jeff takes him off the table for a little while, and then we get a little bit more of his origin in that Red Lantern story arc. And then he takes him off the table for a little bit, and then he brings him back relatively quickly. But in, so, like Jeff, you know, brought Black Hand back in. And a lot of us were probably initially, I mean, because it was Jeff Johns and we had a lot, a lot of goodwill built in the rebirth, maybe we were a little, like, excited about it more than usual. But still, when Black Hand shows up that first time in Jeff Johns' run, you're just like, oh, oh all right, okay. Uh, but the more and more he uses them, the more and more he uses him, and he's not overdoing it, the more you care each time. So I wouldn't be surprised if I end up caring more about Polaris down the line if they follow that kind of a path with him. Especially once he hosts the magnetic entity. It <laughs> 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 uh, happen. That's all I really have to say about it here. Uh, anything else I would have to say about the storyline would probably come into play in the final issue of it. So <laughs> you have anything to say about it? No, I think we're ready to, to wrap this up. All right. So issue number 21. Um, this is the polarity conclusion here. Um, 
uh, we are back into Emerson's uh, Neil Emerson's mindscape. Um, he's in full freakout mode. Um, <laughs> is it just me or just <laughs> Dr. Polaris's little tuning forks at the top of his head look taller than <laughs> anything they've been betrayed as? Since the beginning of the story arc. Yeah, I, I just I just noticed that too. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to flip back to uh, actually the issue I should have I I already threw this back to, to show you how much I love these issues. I already threw them back into the bag, and now and let me go grab the last one because it had that nice little that nice little splash page with Ben Polaris. And, you know, and it's not you know what it's not even that they're longer. I mean they're taller even though they think they are. It's just the ones on this on his helmet here are straight up. And the ones yeah. in the last issue are almost like are curved, kind of almost like like Orion's or when or a little bit more like back in the Micronaut days, a Croyer. How his were a little there was a little arc in a Croyer's like spikes on a helmet too. So this, these are definitely straight. Yeah, these are at least on this one page, the initial appearance. His are completely straight up. Um. So in his little mindscape, he's freaking out, trying to talk to Seth, saying, "I can save you." Uh, you know, I can fix it. I can stop the tumor. Then outside, um, Simon's thinking to himself just a second ago, we were fighting this guy, uh, Dr. Polaris, but time stops when someone you love is dying. So this is kind of Simon comparing his situation with Nazir to Emerson's situation with, uh, Neil Emerson's situation with Seth. Um, uh, Simon tells Jessica we have to get Seth to the hospital. She says there's no time. He's dying. Uh, Polaris reaches out and says, I, you don't touch him, lanterns, tangles them all up. Uh, then he, uh, Simon, while being all tangled up and trying to get out at the same time, re- is trying to talk to Neil saying, uh, you know, listen to me, listen to me. And he says, uh, I can save him. Sometimes I heal people. I can't explain it. It's the ring. If you don't move, he's going to die right here. And uh, Neil says, why should I trust you? And Simon says, I've been where you are. My best friend, he was in a coma. The ring saved him. And Emerson, uh, Neil says, pauses and says, what do you need? Simon reaches out with his willpower. It's spiking, it's spiking. And then he uses so much of it, concentrates so hard, he passes out. Uh, and it doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it, it is a really great setup for something that that crashes and burns super quick. <laughs> so yeah, you know, performance issues. They say yeah, one out of five. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, he needs some willpower, Viagra. Um, uh, Emerson, uh, Neil. I, I keep wanting to call him Emerson because I think I was recently exposed to some sort of character whose first name is Emerson. Or like Emerson, uh, but Palmer, he, Emerson Lake and Palmer or whatever that group is. That's what it reminds me of. Too. <laughs> um, but anyways, Neil and uh, Seth have a moment in Neil's little mindscape, and it's kind of his way of saying goodbye. He says, I'm sorry. Simon comes to, says, I was too late. Uh, you know, and Jessica says, not now. We've got to get Emerson while he's still. And then and uh, Simon says, tell him I'm sorry. He's going to uh, – and Polaris just energizes, says nothing, flies up. They try and get uh, – Lanterns try and get in contact with Cyborg. Um, oh, Cyborg tries to get in contact with Lanterns, says, are you still in Gateway? I've got energy disruptions off the charts down there. What the hell is happening? Hang on. Something really, really bad just went down. The watchtower is losing altitude. 
Mayday, Mayday, can anyone hear me? And Polaris is pulling the freaking watchtower out of orbit, trying to crash it down on top of Gateway City. Um, the lanterns fly up, they charge their rings, they grab the side of the watchtower and try to stop its fall. None of the other leaguers can respond. Cyborg is trying to use, you know, run some equations to try and figure out kind of what momentum they would need to counteract its descent onto Gateway, and it's all happening so fast you can barely even calculate it. And of course, none of the other leaguers are going to be able to respond. Convenient. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica and Simon uh, create a massive construct on the side of the watchtower, uh, firing the this engine that they're creating, and they're concentrating, concentrating, and their willpower keeps going up. Uh, think of you know how the ring says you know charge remaining or whatever, and it shows the percentage. This says willpower, and then you see 78%, and then later on you see 82%, and then 94%, and you know willpower 100% as the uh, engine pushes the um, the uh, the watchtower back up into space. It's restored to orbit. Polaris is talking to Neil inside of his little mindscape. Says Seth isn't here. It's just you and me. Um, you know, the lantern stopped the watchtower says, I don't care. He says, you should care. The green lanterns, you are God compared to them. You've got so much potential, Neil. So what's holding you back? He says, it's me. It's always been me. I'm the one who stops myself from getting help. It's my fault. Seth is dead. He says, it's not your fault. Uh, not at all. Listen, it's the green lanterns. They are responsible. He says, yeah, wow. Say it. The green lanterns, not you. Yes, it's their fault. The green lanterns killed Seth. And then back in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, Jessica talks to Simon says there's still no sign of Dr. Polaris Harcourt isn't happy uh, but it's not your fault you didn't kill Seth Neil Emerson, Emerson killed his brother the second he took him out of that hospital um, and uh, he says thanks Jess uh, you've got you got my back sometimes I don't know how I'd do this without you and then all of a sudden their conversation is interrupted Lanterns, Baz and Cruz heads up, Lanterns Corps leader George, John Stewart here Sorry for the radio silence. We've had our hands full out here in space, but we uh, we all are long overdue for a chat. The rings will handle the rest. Buckle up. And then the rings spot, spike up and say, prepare yourselves for uh, exfiltration. Sorry, Jaybird. This is an order from the central battery. No override, Jaybird. This is a top-level SWAC attentions lanterns of Sector 2814. You're being relocated to the planet Mogo immediately. And then the next issue, welcome to the Green Lantern Corps. Um, I like that at the very end of here, when you see the construct that they're creating over the watchtower, because of the watchtower's design, it looks like a mechanical Green Lantern symbol with a jet coming out of the center of it. That is true. So that's kind of cool looking. I do like the willpower readings. I think that's a cool idea, showing their personal willpower or their collective willpower between the two spiking. Uh, so that's cool. Uh, it's, it, and it's it's consistent, at least, because, you know, it, in the prior issue, willpower insufficient. So it, it was it was it's consistent and it was obviously setting it up, too. So that's cool. Um, and we get some more. Things other than Jaybird, like when Jessica and Simon charge, 
Simon's ring says fully charged, and Jessica's says ready to rock. Jessica. Yeah, I like, I like that. I did like that one a lot. <laughs> <laughs> so that was interesting. Um, I'm not a big fan of the art in this issue, but I do think it stands out in some places. Like when uh, Polaris drops his helmet and just sparks up his energy after Seth dies, where Jessica says, Emerson, stop. That looks kind of cool. Um, don't get me wrong. I don't think anything – I'm not comparing the two in terms of personality. But it kind of reminds me of like paintings I've seen of Jesus, like where he's like – I don't. I don't know if he's like floating down off the cross or whatever, but you know, or he's coming down or whatever. But like his uh, his robes or whatever, are sort of enfolding him as he's kind of looking forlornly down. You know what I'm talking about? That basically, yeah. Yeah, this kind of reminds me of that. He's looking sadly down. His cape is billowing. It's it's a really cool looking image. Um, so that's that was interesting. There, like I said, there there are places where it looks pretty. The, the the art looks good, like uh, when uh, Simon is trying to uh, heal Seth. I mean, it's not the best uh, just because of the amount of light and how distorted it looks in certain spots, but it does – that overall page together looks kind of cool. So certain spots like that, I think the art really stands out. Uh, and like I said, I've, I've enjoyed the whole concept of having the League or at least a member of the League so somehow involved – uh, in a way that makes sense. So, but, uh, and of course I like them being haul ass to Oa <laughs> because that's something that I think we've all been waiting for is when the hell are they going to do train? <laughs> so I actually, <clears throat> I actually like the art in this issue. I did. I thought it worked. I thought it was, it was a little, it certainly was much more attention grabbing than the art in the, uh, and the previous issues, so I, I actually I actually did like that. I, I in a way, this issue I think did the least for me. I I it was interesting, and maybe again, who knows why? Maybe this is part part of trying to make Simon look more human. I guess to make him to try to shoot an arrow, and maybe part of this arc is just to shoot some arrows into Simon's arrogance and his cockiness. Since obviously, you know, they they would have drowned in the water if not for, if not for Jessica and the fact that you know he's he was kind of like, oh, I can do this, I've done it before, or you know, and and, and he fails. So I, I don't know. I just this, I don't know. I think I just doesn't do that. Simon just isn't. It just isn't doing much for me. He just really isn't doing doing much for me these days. Jessica's fine. I just don't really, I don't really see what the, I don't really see what the long-term purpose is of keeping Simon in this book. Jessica, I can understand, but Jessica's the reason this book really exists to begin with. We don't really need Simon in this book. I don't know what Simon brings to the table that another Green Lantern that we already know or another Lantern period that we already know couldn't bring more to, or at least do as much if not more than he is bringing. So I, I no matter how where the no matter how long they keep going with the status quo, at some point they're going to have to change it because it's not going to work. It's not going to last. Right. I mean, we knew that from the beginning. The reality is the only re- the only way this book can survive for like like maybe probably even two years is if DC basically is going to just has already decided it's going to survive. Whether it's because of Johns, because of the Do, because of uh, oh we need this book to survive because we got to get from point A to point B, 
and that kind of whether that's true or not, but that kind of uh, rationale. So to keep the book alive. Other than that, th- this book is not. That's ironic. <laughs> the only way this the only way this book is going to survive is if DC has enough willpower. Or <laughs> <laughs> uh, or or if uh, Johns and Dio have enough willpower to just to just <laughs> force force it down their throat. I think, yeah, I don't. This issue, I think, is a good example of why Simon doesn't bring that much to the table. He's he's not a he's not as much of a jerk in this arc, but he still doesn't do much. Um, and he and I know they're probably going to trade off and have some arcs in which Simon does stuff, but it seems like they're really trending in the opposite direction, where Jessica's becoming more and more confident, she's becoming more and more capable, and Simon is just kind of there. So maybe again. One can only hope at some point that, that the status quo in this book changes. Whether I'd rather almost see a Jessica solo book at this point than see a book with her and Simon. Yeah, I mean, it kind of kind of makes sense. Kind of does. The, the, I feel like they're setting it up for a Simon storyline coming up because of the stuff with Nazir that they the seeds that they planted there. Uh, obviously, they you know they're pulling them off world now, so we're not going to get to that within the next three issues or so um at, at the very least i don't know how long they're supposed to be training are you still there yeah i'm, I'm here okay i'm sorry you broke up on me well, you, um, i heard you break up too so it kind of worked okay uh I, I don't know how long they're supposed to be training on uh on oa so but it seems like they're setting that up but it's also interesting too is because if you remember when jessica had conflicts with her sister those were uh and and you know we were focusing really heavy on that dynamic those were the issues where we had like really deep, uh, not really deep, but like really heavily focused, uh, Jessica, uh, Jessica focused character development and like lantern showcasing. So I'm wondering if, you know, they're switching that formula over to Simon. So Simon will be, you know, he'll have some conflict with his family and because the focus is already on him, we're going to get some Simon stuff. Now, if we don't, then I'm going to, you know, at that point, I'll say that they don't care about Simon. And the reason I say that is not necessarily that they, not necessarily that they don't care about him, but like they feel that he's already established forgetting that he's not like we got his introductory issue by Jeff Johns and that green lantern zero issue. And we've got him here and there. And yes, he was part of the Justice League of America. But like, in, in, you know, <laughs> I'm just speaking to our audience in general right now. Hey, guys, raise your hand if you actually read that Simon Baz Justice League series. My hand's not up. I don't know about yours, Mark. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> so if there was some phenomenal character development of uh, Simon Baz over in Justice League, that's fine. All well and good. But guess what? A large majority of us didn't read it. So if you're talking to the Green Lantern fans, the ones who pick up the Green Lantern titles, they probably have been picking up the Green Lantern titles for a while now. But you have to keep in mind how much character development and showcase has Simon Baz got within Green Lantern? Not within Justice League or some other some other uh, story arc or, or title within the titles that they were already picking up. I'm sorry. I've read Green Lanterns for years now. Uh, and 
I don't really know much about Simon Baz over other than the fact that he's a former criminal and that uh, for some reason the combined you know uh, directives of somebody with the personality of Hal Jordan and somebody with the personality of Sinestro sought out this person. He's got a sister and a brother-in-law and he was somehow able to do some crazy stuff with uh, his ring in terms of bringing his brother out of a coma. Oh yeah. And then there's that whole Emerald site thing. That's also another crazy thing he was able to do, but we're not going to even worry about even trying to describe or explain how any of that works. That's it. I know very, 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 very basic information about Simon Baz, and I know like two big mysteries, and that's it. You haven't even explained like he's not even a big enough character to win out where when a mystery happens, you're like, wait, how is that even possible? The only reason I'm asking how is that even possible is because it's it's not been it's not something that the green the Green Lantern ring really does except for save like the '60s or stuff when the ring could like transmute matter and shit like that. <laughs> you know, it, it was a Deus Ex Machina to do whatever they wanted it to in the in the '60s. But like outside of that, I'm only surprised in the fact that wait, I didn't think the ring could do that. Not that. Oh wow, Simon can do that. Like I don't care if Simon could do that. if Hal could do that. I'd be like. Eh. That's kind of weird. <laughs> like I'm just saying, they haven't they haven't built Simon up. So if we get to that that point in the Green Lantern's title where we switch to a Simon focus, and they still don't give us a reason to care when the focus is on Simon, then I'm going to say that they don't really understand that we haven't really had the time they think we've had to get to know and care about this character. I agree. I, well, I mean, I don't know. We're going to, we're probably going to know in the next, I would say probably in the next four to five months, I think we're going to know where exactly where, you know, where they really want to take this with, with Simon and how long they're going to, and how long they're going to carry it out before something changes. I think it's just, I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's really difficult to try to have a lot of vested interest in this book, be- other than Jessica, because I mean Simon. Simon was kind of forced down her throats to begin with by Jeff Johns, but at least when he, d- other than that horrible introduction and that origin issue, he's been he was a relatively likable character when he was first introduced. And, and, you know, yeah, like when he was going up against the league and all that. Just in yeah, just when uh, just during the you know the. Rise, the rise of the Third Army, Wrath of the First Lantern, Simon. That part was, that part was, that Simon was good, and that Simon was cool. But this isn't that Simon, and which is, so which was their fault. They shouldn't have done. They shouldn't have gone in the direction that they did to try to make a, to try to make you know, the, like we said, the good cop, bad cop thing. And it is yeah. kind of telling, like we talked about in the State of the Union episode, that in a way. That you know, this book gives us a lot of what people would want from a Green Lanterns title, with you know, stories. Stories taking place on Earth or you know or around Earth, and the fact that you have you know not necessarily villains related to the emotional spectrum all, every single time, and yet it's still not really doing it for a lot of people. And that's and that in a way is because of the partially because of the characters they pick, but just it's just some of the decisions that they're making too. So I 
I'm not enthusiastic about this book. Let's put it this way. I can't. I yeah. I wasn't enthusiastic when it started. I got more enthusiastic up and you know through probably the the first Lantern arc, the Phantom Lan- the Phantom Ring arc, and this this Polarity arc, and even the training arc that they're in now. It's not doing that much for me. Yeah. Uh, I know I'm more interested in what happens when they go back to these these seven original Green Lanterns that fought Volthoom. So that's going to be that's going to be that's going to be interesting for me. But in the meantime, right now, I'm certainly not looking forward to this book every when it comes out. I mean, it's not something. Oh, I have to go read this book anytime soon. It's like no. Um, my final thoughts before we close the episode. I, I mean, I, I it's ever since we did the uh, the uh, State of the Green Lantern Union uh, episode for for this year, I feel like and and not. Only only that, but I also, you know, before obviously before we recorded, both you and I, you know, on our own time, obviously did go listen to the prior State of the Green Lantern Union. Um, so I've got that kind of in my mindset. I just keep thinking about how I'm. I, it, don't get me wrong. I, I 100% believe I'm justified in it, but how I'm being largely negative and angry about what's happening. And don't get me wrong. I'm not going to try and be less angry anymore because. You know, before we started recording, I, t- I sent Mark a picture in uh, in Skype about something that happens in an upcoming issue, and oh boy, are we coming up on a rant? <laughs> uh, not something you haven't heard before, but just more elaboration on it. Um, but and it, I was listening to that State of the Green Lantern Union episode, and, and I was listening specifically to Dan and how he was talking about. You know how the Green Lantern. It's funny that the Green Lantern's book is giving us everything we've wanted in a Green Lantern book, but not really doing it in such a way that's appealing to us. And that's why you, you've heard me in this episode point out some things I like. So I like that they're using Polaris, and I like that it, you know I, I didn't really even mention that we we mentioned that it takes place in Gateway City. But I actually like the fact that it takes that, – that's something I do like, that it takes place in Gateway City. So it's not just that they're bringing in the League. like They're also clearly within the DC universe and you know going from established place to established place but not hopscotching so much that it's just like, okay, you guys are just trying to shout out the rest of the DC universe. So that's cool. You know, and all the various positive things I've pointed out because a three-issue arc – Silver Age villain, uh, pulling from and not they're, they're they're actually trying to do something with him instead of you know completely nixing everything that came before and trying to create their own person that that ha- just happens to share the name and the abilities. Everything else is different, so that's cool. Uh, the the relationship between Jessica and her ring that's always been something we've even before the state of the GL Union we've always been really you know, psyched about that. So, but it's just, it's, it's so hard for me to like come down too hard on this title. When I think about all of the things that it is doing that I want it to do, because I feel like, you know, Sam Humphreys isn't listening to this epic podcast, (laughs) But, but like, I feel like, you know, let's say that they were, if, if somebody were listening to this, they'd think that, you know, well, I mean, if they cared about our opinion at all and wanted, you know, wanted to take our suggestions to actually change it or whatever, um, <laughs> that they, you know, they'd end up taking away all, nixing the whole plan. 
where there are things I do like about it. Shorter arcs, Silver Age villains having nothing to do with the emotional spectrum, and other things that, of course, I mentioned throughout the ep- this episode. But, like, I just... It's actually frustrating to read this and have these things I like about it because it makes what I don't like about it slightly harder to put my finger on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Because within all this positivity... There's just this overarching eh, to the whole thing that is so just fundamental to it that I just can't really like – if you were to ask me to dissect it and give me the entire series from the Rebirth special all the way up until the current issue 23 and you know you gave me the original script and the original pencils and the finished product and blah, 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 blah and even like – writer's notes and everything, I still don't think I'd be able to put my finger on what is wrong with the title to me overall. But there's just something about it that as a fan, and considering everything I've ever read before in Green Lantern, I'm just like, yeah, this is... I mean, it's cool that they're doing ah, blah, 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 but it's still this kind of, alright, well, that was interesting. Cool. Uh, on to the next one. There's nothing here that I'm going to be like looking at and going later on, wow, I'm glad that's on my shelf in a trade paperback. I'm looking forward to rereading that. You know what I mean? No, I understand. It just doesn't have a wow factor. It's got a that's cool factor, but it doesn't. it's not something I'm like, oh, that's actually a really awesome arc or, you know, A, B, C, D. One of the things that's it's prevalent in this book, and it's obviously prevalent in the – Hal in the core uh, book. So when we get to the Prism of Time arc, which will should be the next episode, that I and I don't want to be a hypocrite here because we we we've all, we've talked we've talked about the whole dangling plot point thing, how there's unresolved issues that they just keep they just keep hanging and hanging and hanging, and it seems like. Uh, they have really important things they don't deal with at all, and then they have other things that they introduce, like an issue, an issue like fifteen, and then they have to they feel compelled to have to pick it up and, and go give you full bore what it mean, you know, what the hint means by issue seventeen, and that's what we're getting now. It's like the stuff about you know the the first la- the the travel lantern and the first seven lanterns that, that created you know that uh defeated Volthum, and now we know from the issue that the last issue that came out without going into too many specifics we know we know more already about the seven lanterns and the tribal lantern and all this stuff all pretty much because of, of the the time the, the time travel arc that's coming up and the same thing with hal in the core they give us this nice, this nice little preview issue of all the threats that are coming in the future which of course by the time by the time we get done with uh, that the, the God Killer arc or whatever the hell they're, they're going to call those things with the new gods, we probably would have dealt with like almost, almost probably like at least half the crap they showed on those two pages, and and within like the six, within six issues of them showing us the preview, you know what was coming down the road. It's like that's kind of like a little bit too much at one time to me. It's like these are thre- these are threats coming down the road. In fact, they're coming down the road so much we'll get them all, like almost all of them within the next four months. <laughs> it's like I don't know. I think. A little, a little bit of build-up on some things is good because that's not really a dangling plot point. It's just that it, it intrigues you for what it means because a lot of those villains and things, we had no idea what they were. 
So yeah. it made you wonder what they were. But it's like it seems like they introduced stuff on purpose now just to deal with two issues later. And then, of course, then you have the really important questions we're dying for some answers to, which have been completely swept under the rug, mostly because these writers aren't the ones who created that continuity. So they, it's like they're choosing not to deal with it. Mostly, mostly Venditti, let's be honest. But it's not, but not exclusively. Uh, the thing I wanted to mention about when, when you right from the beginning of the episode when you said polarity part one, if you want to talk about a, a lack of consistency, which is somewhat editing, sometimes not necessarily all editing, but you, look at the three co- look at the three covers the, of this of this arc, and you have nineteen that has a little banner on the top that says polarity part one. You got issue twenty which says polarity without a part number on it. And then you get to the third part, which says has no polarity banner at all. Just has DC Universe Rebirth on it. It's like <laughs> no, I mean no consistency at all. And I think there's a little bit of an issue with that. With how I think the Prism of Time, but I think I think every part of Prism of Time says Prism of Time on it. I think I I don't have them within reach. They're across the room, but I think they all say Prism of Time. But just the fact that you basically have three different three different banners or approaches to banners and a three-issue arc, and the third one doesn't even bother telling you, oh, this is a part of an arc. Well, if you were going to start the first two saying polarity in, the, in, a, in a banner, you pretty much should put polarity in the third part, shouldn't you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> even if you don't want to put the parts, you know, that would, I would be consistent too if I'm going to say part one on the first cover, then I'd put part two in the second and part three in the final part. Or the conclusion, yeah. one of the two. But that's me. But at the very least, friggin' put polarity on it so people they were would often automatically know that this is a third part of, third part of the story. If you were if you were collecting these issues out of uh, you know not in current continuity, if you weren't buying them now, if you were backtracking for some reason and you wanted to get these issues, you might think it's a two issue arc because there's only two of these co- two of these titles have polarity on the banner. Oh, it's a two issue arc. No, it's a three issue arc. They just bothered to screw you by throwing some misdirection in there. <laughs> but. And speaking of inconsistency, the covers. I don't, do you have the print versions of all three of these, and just the regular covers, or did you were you given variants? Uh, let's see. I'm not sure which one was which. I have the almost looking like real people version with with Raimi on the cover. Of the first that's nine. I think that's the regular cover. Uh, has nothing to do with the story arc. The variant has Polaris in the background. With him doing some like almost Doctor Strange looking hand voodoo uh, towards the viewer with the green as Jessica and Simon's rings in front of him, that actually fits the the, the title. Raimi is nowhere to be seen in this this issue at all. True. So I mean, yeah, I mean, the, yes, there are misleading covers in comics all the time, but it has nothing to really do with what's happening in the story. Now the cover to twenty. Is uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, like I said, because you have the print issues. I've got digital. Um, has Simon and Jessica all tied up in? Yep. Uh, okay, with Polaris there in the middle. So that makes sense. That that has to do with polarity. Great, fantastic. The variant. It's Simon and Jessica all tangled up in each other, almost like Yin and Yang style, with black space behind them and a couple of shards of glass. Now, them being in close quarters, trapped somewhere, that makes sense with regards to what's happening in the issue. But there's nothing in here that screams Dr. Polaris or it, it really, I mean, just visually, it looks nothing, but it, it looks like it has nothing to do with with uh, a story arc like it. 
So now it's a variant cover, so it can be slightly more forgive. Uh, it can be more forgiven for not having to do with the interior, just because somebody wanted to do something cool with the interior. Twenty one is the only one that kind of makes sense because the cover is showing Polaris choking Simon and Jessica. Is that your regular cover? That's not the one I have. It doesn't mean it's not the regular cover. It's not the one I... You have them being crushed under the weight of a bunch of stuff? Yep, that's the one I have. Okay. Both of these have to do with Polaris. Um, Now, yours, your variant, it's the DC logo on the left, 21 on the right, DC Universe Rebirth, Green Lanterns? Yes. That's exactly how the digital looks, too. However, the... Uh, cover I'm looking at where uh, Polaris is choking them. Uh, I'll take a screenshot and send that to you. Uh, that one has polarity up at the top. So okay, I think so maybe you have on, the variant. So maybe it depends on the cover then. Yeah, I think you have the variant because the variant for – I'm going to check and double – I should probably double check now. I'm going to check and see if the variants for any of the other issues um, – have any have uh, any issue numbers on them? Or, I mean, uh, polarity. polarity yeah. Yep, polarity parts on them. Um, let's see, nineteen. Nineteen has part one, but polar, but but twenty doesn't but, have part two. Okay, so the variant issue for nineteen does not have anything polarity labeled on it. All right, so it must be just the regular covers that have them. Yes. However, you are correct in saying that the first issue has part one, and the second one issue only has uh, part. Uh, it only says polarity and not part two. The same thing for part three, just says polarity. Yes, okay. yes. Still, be- it's still better, but not as consistent as it could be. Yeah. So if you're looking at, um, if you're looking at the album art for this episode, the first image you see for issue 19 is a variant cover, and the other two issues are uh, uh, the other two images you see are the regular covers for 20 and 21. It looks cool as album art because it all has Polaris in it. But that's not how it looks to the reader if you're looking at it on the shelf. <laughs> so I just thought that – especially number 19. Not, I mean, again, like we said – like I said, there, there, are, there have been comics for decades where the cover has nothing to do with what's happening on the inside. It's just a cool cover. But I mean this – just considering the context and the covers of the other two issues, like, come on now. <laughs> it actually would seemingly be a better cover for Green Lantern 20, I mean, for Green Lanterns 22 when they're all been going Oa. Yeah, because Raimi's in the background and they're flying in space. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, that's all I got to say about this, this arc. Do you got anything else to, to throw out there? No, I think we've done quite quite enough on this. Well, more than we thought. So, yes, congrats, we, guys. That's, that's, not, that's really not surprising. <laughs> uh, all right, Mark, you want to tell people how to find us? I reckon I can do that. Uh, easiest way to contact us, lanterncast at gmail.com. Uh, website is lanterncast.com. New episodes, encyclopedia episodes, blogs, uh, eventually some movie reviews again, things of the, that nature. Uh, you can find us, locate us on Twitter and Facebook. Use hashtag GLCast to lo- locate us on any of those. iTunes and Stitcher, we're on both, so whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. 
And last but not least, 708 Lantern is our voicemail. So leave us a voicemail and let us know what you think and what you want to see and hear on future episodes. Um, yeah. Okay, let me just pull that up real quick. Um, I was on Twitter today, so I decided to pull it up for just a quick second here. Um, we got uh, uh, a... Uh, uh, a tweet from uh, from a couple of different people, uh, but just specifically since you mentioned, let us you know wh- what do you like us to cover? Jesse says, "How about some Silver Age firsts, like first appearance of Sinestro, Star Sapphire, Black Hand, Evil Star, etc." He also he sent one other tweet: a Guy Gardner retrospective covering first and other key appearances up through getting a ring permanently during Crisis on Infinite Earths. Not bad ideas. Not bad ideas. Um, I especially like the Silver Age firsts because it's better than doing a spotlight. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's a lot of research involved in like a Sinestro spotlight, which we've already uh, already done before, obviously, and like a Star Sapphire spotlight, Black Hand spotlight, because you have to read everything and take notes and blah blah blah. But I don't. I, I think I think it'd be interesting to do just like first appearances. Yeah, I, I could definitely see that. Yeah, and as far as Guy Gardner goes, <sighs> I'm in a good place with Guy Gardner right now. I don't know if I need to be thrown into a mix where I'm not in a good place with Guy Gardner. <laughs> uh, to be fair, I think, well, yeah, he kind of goes bonkers, rude, and crap um, prior to Crisis a little bit, yeah, doesn't he? I mean, after Crisis, it really kicks into high gear with, like, JLI and stuff like that. But before that, he's still a little touchy-feely, kind of a pain in the butt, right? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah. All right. But uh, just throwing it out there, I just wanted to read those two tweets real quick just because we are starting to get some suggestions from people. So if you want to add your voice to the mix, definitely let us know what you think we should be covering. Absolutely. All right, guys. We'll talk to you later. Good night, everybody. Good night.